Greetings, folks. Apostle Lewis here with you in the Weekly Kingdom broadcast. Today, I want you to know that the Lord wants you to come back into the fold. Let's go. Hey folks, uh, just so glad that you're with us today and going to share with you about the restoration of the Lord. And I feel my spirit today, and I've spent uh, a good amount of time with the Lord today, um, reading, writing, and, and, and praying, and fellowshipping with Him, that I want to talk to you about something that I feel that the Lord is speaking in this hour. I'm a couple days away from entering a 40-day fast. I don't do that to um, brag or dose. I, I would love to do about how to prepare for a long fast because there's a way that you can prepare yourself mentally, spiritually, and physically for a fast like that. But I want to talk about, you know, obviously you know that uh, God uh, had me and used me in restoration of Todd. Now, I'm going to just give you this um, understanding and I'm going to explain it and then I'm going to talk about God wants you back. And um, I didn't restore Todd um, in the sense of it was something I could do anyways. The Bible says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But I'll let each one examine his own work, and let he and then he will have a rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. You know, there's those people who I know were mad at Rick because Rick reached out and restored Todd. And, and I'm, I'm sure the thing about me is I really don't care about what people say. So, and I'm not that Rick does, but I certainly don't care. But I, I want to ask you this. Has there been something that you did that is keeping you from fulfilling your calling? Some, let's just call it sin. Let's not call it a misstep. Let's not call it, um, uh, you know, let's just call it what it was. You sinned. You know you sinned. And and it's keeping you from Christ. I want you to hang on and listen to this podcast. And if, if you are someone who feels like the church has disqualified you and, and condemned you, stay tuned and listen to what I have to say for you. Because I had hope. For both of you. First of all, I want to say this. God is calling you back. And that doesn't mean that um, I'm going to give you some steps about what you need to do. And what I told Todd and what Todd was faithful to do before the Lord, him and Jessa. And I love him to death. I love I love everyone I know to death. I mean, I really do. And um, I will go out of my way for them. It's my calling. It's it's not everybody's intention to do that. The Lord has always kind of used me in the hard places. 
I've stood with people through hard times. I have people say to me all the time, my pastor hurt me, my pastor hurt me. Let me, let me also say something to you that I really feel I need to say this. I wonder how many people hurt their pastor. Let me tell you, as a minister and as a senior leader, pastors go through a lot of pain. There's a lot of times people abandon them when they thought they were going to be with them, where they don't keep their covenantial words with them. They don't keep their promises to the pastor. And the pastor is supposed to be okay with that. But I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of ministers who have been hurt, who have gone through a lot of pain and a lot of struggle and a lot of torment because um, for whatever reason, they got hurt. And then, then there's those ministers or those saints who their pastors hurt them. They put a lot of trust in their pastor and they found out their pastor was having an affair or their pastor was cheating on the books or whatever. And it hurt them, whatever side of that aisle. The, the truth of the matter is, is most of our actions are, be gov- are being governed by pain and not by promise. They're being governed by our yesterday's failure instead of tomorrow's future and promise. And therefore, we're not responding properly. And I want you to know that, okay, what did you do? Did you repent? And I want to get you back into ministry. I want to get you back into your calling. I want you to get back into what God called you to do for this. Look, I don't care how old you are. I'm going to be 57 in April, just about two months away. And I figure, okay, I got about at least 30 good years, hopefully, that I get to run with God. Maybe I don't have till tomorrow. But I want to spend my life with in doing his will. That's all I want to do. The rest of my life is the will of him who sent me. That's it. It is really life to me and bread to me. It really does feed my soul. It really does. It is food to me. Like Jesus said, I love, I love seeing the miracle of God. I love seeing the healing of God. I love teaching God's people and raising them up and releasing them. But I also love restoring people. I also love telling them, yeah, I don't care they wrote you off. You could still, that doesn't matter. God hasn't. And so we need to understand biblically what does God say to the minister who's fallen or to you? Let's not treat him any differently, even though even though I want to acknowledge something to you. Number one, all sins are not created equal. Um, men might want to tell you that, but scripture declares that some sins committed in the body, some committed out of the body. Um, if you steal, it's different than if you sleep with a harlot because you actually join her to the Lord, you know. And so those things are really different in the way that they're viewed. If I'm a leader and I steal, it doesn't just affect me. It affects the people I've stolen from. I've had, I've had ministers steal from me in the church. I've had that happen where they lied about finances. I used... They at least use the church to be their uh, laundering, you know, of finances. And there was some real skeptical. And I didn't find out that my bookkeepers found out and went, that ain't good, you know. And it's a distrust thing. So, you know, did I affect them? How do I handle that? How do I, not that I did that, please. I'm, I, I fear the Lord, folks. I fear the Lord and like... Um, 
I just fear the Lord. And it's not just a fear of him because of his awe. I fear the Lord in the sense of, I don't want to do that against the Lord. I love him. And uh, I fear my wife too. Um, I love her. And the fear I would have with my wife is to do anything that would break her heart. And I, I have no desire to do that. But maybe you, maybe you failed in your marriage. Maybe you failed in your finances. Maybe you failed in a relationship. Um, maybe you didn't obey the Lord in something he told you to do. Okay. What do we do? What are we going to do from this point on? What are we going to do that's going to get you back to where you need to be? Because I want to help you. And I want to tell you this. Number one, confess your sins. God is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from them. And he remembers them no more. Now, that doesn't mean your friends won't remember them. It does, certainly, certainly your enemies will remember them. And you might have to clean up that mess. In other words, if if you, if you know, let's, I'm going to give you something that's never happened. Let's just say I cheat on my wife. I wouldn't just have to repent to God. I'd have to, you know, ask my wife to forgive me. I'd have to ask my kids to forgive me. I'd have to ask my church to forgive me. You understand? Like the, the, the ripple effect would go out and I'd have to ask all those people to forgive me that it touched. And I might be doing that for 10 years because five years down the road, some of them might come up to me and say, hey, you know, uh, when you did that, it really hurt me. And I, and you know, where I might be over it, they're not. And I might have to go over it again and ask them to forgive me. And that's okay. That's why I don't want to do it. You know, uh, when you find out that repentance requires you to clean up your own mess, you might not want to do it as much because you might get tired of cleaning up the mess. And so you might want to stop that. But okay. But a lot of things that ministers struggle with is failure. And I know this. I know this firsthand from people um, where maybe they disobeyed the Lord. And I had one minister, he knows, he felt like he disobeyed God and felt like God could never use him again because he was just burnt out and he couldn't do the, the Lord wanted him to take over this church or he felt like the Lord wanted to. He just couldn't do it. He had been so beat up by the church, he couldn't do it. And he said no. And he said, as soon as I said it, I knew that that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. But I think also the Lord understood he was worn out. And, and, and you know, sometimes ministers are completely out of gas. And they're out of gas because the level of warfare that they go through, not just from the devil, but from the church itself, is so intense and that we don't understand that. Okay, that's why you have to really avoid certain people. You know, avoid those who cause division and mark them and avoid them. Why? Because they're not Christ-like. That's not the Christ spirit. It's an anti-spirit. And you want to avoid that. And a lot of people go through these struggles. But I'm going to tell you the best piece of advice I could ever give you. And I gave it to Todd. And I'm very proud of Todd. Me and Todd had long talks. We um, And I, I don't think he'd mind me sharing this. I'm not trying to stir up stuff. I'm just going to tell you, like, uh, I'm proud of him. And he's and what, what I've seen God do in him. I would love to tell you. 
I would love to tell you it was me. Oh, yeah. I re- No, I really, I would be ashamed to take the credit because the credit I deserve is maybe standing with them, being a friend, never abandoning them. That I did. But the advice I gave Todd, when Todd wanted to quit, he says, I'm done with ministry. I laughed at him. And I said, Todd, you're called. You can't be done. I said, however, Todd, what you have to do is you have to go get before God until God touches you. And that might take a while. might take six months. might take a year. Who knows how long it'll be before the hand of God touches you again. And he goes, now you're ready. Because God's got to, he's got to work some things in you. And look, Todd and, Todd and Jessa were so brutally attacked. By the way, that hasn't ended. There's still a nutbag, CC we'll call him, who just, out of his bitterness, he's still harassing them. He's still harassing them. And he's a, he's demonic. He is full of demonic uh, bitterness and demonic wisdom. And he should not, by the way, everyone should avoid him. And if he keeps going, then I'm going to put out a full thing on it. Why people should use his name and everything. Number one, the tribunal was an absolute, it was the wisdom of men. It did not have God in it at all. It was not godly. There's nowhere in scripture that we're, the Jews might have done it, but the Jews were so off the, um, like we shouldn't be following what the Jews did. Let me just say that. Okay? Let me just say that because everything that we think is Jewish isn't biblical. I just want to say, let me let me give you an example. And I know I'm going to get a lot of heat from this, but that's all right. Prove me wrong. The Jewish New Year is in the fall. The biblical New Year is 15 days before Passover. The Passover is in the first month of the year. How is the new year in the seventh? You could go and figure that out for me. Let me know. Because over and over again, God declared that the Passover was the 15th day of the first month. But we celebrate it like it's the seventh month, like it's down near the fall festivals, and everybody sells Rosh Hashanah. But the biblical new year, the biblical new year is 15 days before Passover. That is actually the biblical new year. All right. It's the new moon before the Passover. All right. And so we celebrate things and we we speak things because we've heard them and men of wisdom, we think, have stood up and made it, but it's not biblical. And, you know, if we want to be biblical, be biblical. If you just want to be Jewish, be Jewish. But I like being biblical. What do we do when someone falls? We confront them, according to Matthew 18. And if it means getting in their face, we do it. And we say, dude, that's sin. If they hear us, then we keep it between us. If they don't hear us, this is Matthew 18, we take it before two or three witnesses. If they still don't hear us, we take it before the assembly, the church, the ecclesia. We bring it before them, the church. 
if they still don't hear us and won't repent, we kick them out of the church. Not our church, the church. They are. We kick them out and we treat them like a heathen and a tax collector. That's what Jesus said. What is? How did Jesus treat the heathen and the tax collector? He went and he told them about his father. Do you get it? In other words, you they look at unless the tax collector like Matthew came to Jesus, he would never experience Jesus. He would never experience the fellowship of the brethren, except he said yes to Jesus when he was when he said follow him. He said yes, and he followed him, and he had a banquet for him that night at his house, right? But if he doesn't do that, he would never experience that fellowship. You treat the heathen and the tax collector, the, 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 the one who will not repent, the same way. He's outside the fellowship. Now God deals with him. Because that's which inside the church we judge that which is outside. But we don't judge like the world. See, my problem with the old Todd Bentley thing is there was no evidence. There was none. I've got four and a half hours of audio of someone talking about manipulating witnesses. You know, my problem was two of the people pursuing Todd, one is abusive to his wife verbally, the other one was a known bisexual. That's my problem. They made a name for themselves, I guess. Let me, let me say again, Matthew 18. Read it. If we're going to be biblical, if we're going to be kingdom, we're going to do it Jesus' way. What do we do when they repent? We bring them back. Now, just because you repented, I don't always think that, that depending on what you've been through, I don't think you should necessarily go out preaching right away. Now, I don't mean you can't go witness. I'm talking about being in that pulpit ministry again, in that place of authority. You could witness Jesus all the time. You could lead everyone to the Lord in the streets. But I think there something else needs to transpire. And that is a touch from God. See, you are three parts being. And in your being, you have to get all three parts um, kind of straightened out. Number one, your emotional health is going to be important. And when you've been through a battle, my thing for Todd was everything that Todd was, um, that Todd confessed to had stopped when I got with him. Had stopped before that. And so it wasn't a lot of, it wasn't that stuff I had to talk to Todd about, but I did have to talk about Todd about emotional well-being and how to have um, a safe, uh, a right staff a staff that would uh, protect him, not from, not protect sin, but protect him from overworking, protect him from being on the wheel, um, and, and creating the right culture. Because Todd, Todd's culture in his school wasn't governed right because Todd wasn't there. And that culture got really bad. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you. But listen, I want you to I want you to see this. Um, 
David's prayer of repentance. And I want you to see how David is going to deal with all three parts of his being. And, and how you want God to touch you. And I remember Todd calling me up in 2020 and telling me about an encounter with God he had. And I knew he was that, that was the breakthrough. And then when I saw Todd a year after that, in September of last year, when I walked into Holiday City, walked into the Revival Hub, and I saw Todd up there ministering, and I could I could just see in the spirit, and I was like, "Oh my God, God's got Todd again. This is good. This is like this is what restoration looks like." But the reason the reason most people don't get there is because they don't take time to spend with God. They're only going to go after satisfying men. They're they're not going to wait for the touch. Here's what you have to understand. You need the anointing to do what you do. And gifting and calling is without repentance, but anointing is not. You will have to repent to receive the anointing again. The anointing is not on you just because you're called. The anointing is, is God's presence on you because you've been sanctified, you have been set apart, and because he can put his spirit on you in a way he can't put it on just anybody. And that is for everybody, even though everybody doesn't go that far after God. It's not that we're earning the anointing, it's just we're preparing him a home. We're, we're prepared, we want to be the sanctuary. I want to be his sanctuary. I want to be his resting place. I want to be the place where Holy Spirit can come and rest on me. And just abide on me. And that takes focus. That takes surrender. And that takes discipline. Doesn't take works. If you think those are works, they're not. It takes focus. In other words, my life is focused on what God has called me to do. Two, I have to surrender to him every day. His way, his will, his desire, his methodology, everything. I surrender. And then I discipline myself to do such. All right. Let's just read Psalm 51 here. And and I hope that you... um, I hope you hear the heart of David here because... It's pretty phenomenal. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, all right, I'll get back into that. Hold on. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See, some of you, listen to me. Some of you, your past is always coming up before you. And and it's because you're focused the wrong way. You know, I asked the Lord 15 years ago. I said, Lord, if you remember my sins no more, and I have the mind of Christ, 
Can I forget my transgressions too? And the Lord said to me, yes. What I discovered was the, if you get focused on Christ and get disciplined, you're not even, you don't give yourself time to your past. And look, I was a really good sinner, so um, trust me. Okay. All right. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in my inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Sins are what you did. Iniquity, iniquity, it was your bent towards sin. Okay, let me explain that. Sin is what you did. Okay? Sin is the fruit of iniquity. Iniquity is your is your bent towards it. It's your it's your um it's your desire and craving for it. Even though you might have craving, but not do it. But the very craving, that's why Jesus comes in and he goes, if you even think evil about your brother, if you even any why? Because that's the iniquity of it. And you want David's going, Lord, I want not just my sins, but I want my iniquity gone too. I want you to give me a new spirit. Listen to what he says. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. And he goes on. Look, there's a passage in the Amplified Body, Amplified Body, Amplified Bible, that I mention a lot. And it's found in Hebrews, if you'll go there. I'm going to read it to you because you might not have the Amplified. <clears throat> Verse 9, I want you to listen to this. This is a prayer I pray frequently for me. For me. I go, Lord, I want this heart. In me, it was the, it's the heart of Jesus. I want this heart to bear fruit in me. You have loved righteousness. You have delighted in integrity, virtue, uprightness and purpose, thought and action. And you have hated lawlessness, injustice and iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, the Godhead, has anointed you with the oil of exultant joy and gladness above, uh, above and beyond your companions. 
So let's go over this. The five things of a Christ-like heart. You love purpose. You love the purposes of God. Listen to me, Saint. You're called. You know you're called. And you want to fulfill that purpose. But you might be frightened. You might have sinned. You might not think you're good enough. You might not think you're, you know, whatever reason. You might be female. You might be male. You might, you're too black. You're too white. You're too whatever. Okay. Hogwash. God knows who he called. God called you. God didn't choose us because he needed us. God is all su sufficient in and of himself. Jesus is sufficient in and of himself. If he's not sufficient, if, if God is not sufficient in and of himself, he's not God. But he's all sufficient. And our sufficiency is not of ourselves. 1 Corinthians 3. It's of God. You are all sufficient in Christ. You're not all sufficient in yourself. You're all sufficient in Christ. You are complete in Christ. You are perfect in Christ. Don't remove the in Christ part of it. Stay in Christ. When I sin, if I sin and I go astray, it's because I left Christ to go after other things. I cannot serve two masters. You sinned. Okay. We can deal with that. Christ already has. We confess our sins. But you still don't feel restored. Yeah. But there's these five things that I want you to begin to pray. Lord, let me get back on your purpose. I love what he says here. Purpose, thought, and action. Okay, he says, you delighted in integrity. Do you delight in integrity? I do. I love integrity. They didn't always like integrity. When you know, when I when I was a heathen, I was a heathen. I didn't think about integrity. I didn't think about it. I do now. I do now, all the time. Virtue. Yeah. Kind of a nobility, kind of a carrying yourself differently. It's it's a power. It's actually a strength in yourself that that um, others who don't have virtue don't have. And uprightness and purpose. So these three things, integrity, virtue, and uprightness in the purpose. In other words, my purpose, I have integrity. My virtue, I have integrity. I, 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 my, my, my purpose has integrity, virtue, and uprightness. I don't have any evil plans. I'm not looking to... Uh, defraud anyone. I'm looking to spread the gospel, but I also have. I'm also got to understand my thought life. I want to have integrity, not just in my purpose, but in my thought life. I want to have virtue in my thought life. I want to have uprightness in my thought life. Therefore, if I have integrity, virtue. And uprightness in my purpose, in my thought life, then it will also come through in my actions. Okay? And guess what? Because I have it there, I will hate unrighteousness, injustice. I'll hate it. I don't have to try to work up hate for injustice. I will hate it. 
what do you need to do? First, if you've been confronted with sin by someone, go and humble yourself and confess your sin. It might mean they kick you out. It might mean all that. I, I wish we had a way of just really loving people through the worst parts of their life. Uh, just because a church or ministry might cast you away doesn't mean Jesus has. Okay? Doesn't mean Jesus has. Just means the church has. Church isn't fully mature. So don't let's not use them as our testimony. Two, um, clean up a mess if you have to clean up a mess. If you hurt anybody, clean it up. Do what's right. If you stole, steal no more. Pay back the money. Make restitution for what you stole. All right. Three, you get on your face before God. Get on your face. Daily you pray. And you, you're going to have to spend some time in prayer because this isn't a five-minute prayer. You're going to seek after God. And you seek after God. I'm not saying you have to do 10 hours a day. Seek after God. You'll know. Don't fake it. Seek after God. Let the hunger stir in you until he touches you. I'm going to tell a story. Um, 2007, I went to Reading. Um, first time I went to Reading. And that Sunday, they had a guest speaker, Paul Goulet. He's the minister over the International Church of Las Vegas. And I just really was enthralled with his message that day. And he gave a story about how in 95 or 96, he is Canadian, living in Las Vegas. And Toronto was going, and some friends who were also Canadian said, Hey, Paul, why don't you come with us back to Canada? We're going to go up to this revival in Toronto. Why don't you come with us? We'll pay for everything. And he, his wife couldn't go, and he felt like, Hey, this is a good trip. I'll take this. And he goes to Canada. I don't think I don't think his wife came with him on this one. And he goes up to Randy Clark and he asked Randy if Randy would pray for revival in Las Vegas. And Randy told him no and said, but I will pray for revival in you. The story has a point. Randy laid hands on him. He went out for like an hour, goes home. Gets in his pulpit Sunday morning and he goes to preach and he steps to the right side of the pulpit and the power of God falls on him. He can hardly talk or move and everyone could tell that he's being touched by God. And he goes, if you want this, come forward. He had about Church 200. It was the, you know, who's who's the charismatic zoo. Fastest growing. I love how we are. Fastest growing church. Well, you know, look, if you have 10 people and you double, you just grow 100%. You're the fastest growing church. I mean, we're so enthralled with this stuff. We're so enthralled with it. Look, when it goes, when it comes before God, did you do what I asked you to do? That's it. That's what he wants to know. All the other stuff becomes hogwash. Becomes men trying to make men sound good. I don't know. <clears throat> he gets up. He says, if you guys want this, come up to the, come up to the altar and sure enough, they all come up and they start falling over. I don't know if he was praying for what, but everyone's on the ground. 
comes back the next week, only 100 people come back. Same thing happens to him. Power of God falls. People get touched. And he says this to the Holy Spirit. Please don't touch me like that again. You're ruining my church. And as soon as he said, he felt the anointing off of him. And he knew. He knew he had grieved Holy Spirit at that moment. He knew it. He knew he had grieved. Have you ever grieved the Holy Spirit? He did. And of course, the next week, nothing happened, but his church started growing again. And in the next year, year and a half, it goes from 100 people to 800 people. And he knows it's not by the power of God. It's a seeker friendly. And he knows it's grown because nothing's happened and anyone could come in and leave the same way they came. But at least they feel good for an hour. And he knows it's not what God wants. He knows it. And he's for, for a year and a half, he's crying out to God, please let your spirit come back on me. Please yet let your anointing touch me again. Forgive me. And he's crying out. And every Tuesday night he fasts and he would go up to a mountain to overlook Vegas and he'd cry out to God during the day, Lord, please forgive me. For 18 months he does this. He's repenting and he's crying out for a touch from God. And he goes to a meeting and he's crying, God, I just need a second chance. God, forgive me. Just give me a second chance. And he goes to a meeting and a gentleman says to him, the preacher says, I feel like there's somebody in here who's been looking for a second chance. And he comes up. And they touch him and the fire of God touches him like it did before. And it's, he's drunk, he's touched. Calls his wife. Honey, I got it again. He said, this time it touches her. And she just gets hit on the other end of the phone. See, God's the God who will restore. See, even though we're cleansed from our sins... It doesn't mean we have gone through the full process of restoration. Restoration does sometimes take time. Because when we disobey God in certain ways, there's nothing but a wilderness between us and the promised land. But that wilderness is to get us to let go of things from another generation and step into our destiny. If we don't understand the wilderness part of that, then we don't understand why there's a process. But some of you, listen to me, some of you have been sitting there. You want to get back to what God called you to do, but you don't feel worthy of it. Good, you never were. He didn't, he didn't put it on you because you were worthy. We're just a vessel. He's the oil. He's the wine. Not us. You're going to go through tough seasons, but let's just say this season was a wilderness, you know. This season was really rough for you. It's okay. Sometimes, you, can, you know, sometimes the people that you offended won't restore you back. But they're not the ones. Listen to me. 
I don't need restoration from people who don't want to restore me. I, I don't I don't go to them for restoration. I ask them to forgive me. But they might not want to restore me, but that's fine. Then they're not the ones who God's going to use. But I am going to seek him. That's my point. Like, you seek him. See, I had people like, you know, people sometimes are so hurt. And they mask their unforgiveness. They mask it. With the parents of righteousness. Let me, let me explain that again. Those who are always after someone who fell years ago are bitter. Are bitter. They're masking their unforgiveness and their bitterness as some righteous zealot. But they are not righteous the way Christ wants righteousness. We are to forgive and we are to restore those of us who are spiritual. You're not being spiritual when you hold a brother's forgiven sins against him forever. You are not being spiritual. You're being demonic. You're being carnal. You're being worldly. And that's a tough word. But that's true. What do you do? What do you do if no one wants to restore you? Go to God. He's always the one he wanted us to come to in the first place. Matter of fact, if we learned to go to him first, we'd have less problems. See, my friend Todd is, you know, is an example of restoration. You know who else was? Bob Jones was a real example. Look, I love the Bill. I love Bill Johnson, who is just so true in every season. But I also love the guys who fell and came back. I love them both because I see God in both. I see the hand of the Lord in both. I see the spirit of the Lord working in both. And my attitude with that is, how do you reject the Spirit of the Lord who's in them? I can't do that and live. I'm not talking about you're still in the sin. I'm not talking about that. Remember, we're not in that. We've, we've repented. We're not in the sin anymore. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. That's not what I'm saying at all. So don't get that. I love the holiness. I love the presence. I love doing what's right before God. But that doesn't qualify me anyway. Paul said, I don't I said, I, well, let's, let's see what Paul said. <clears throat> I mean, if anyone who had past sins had to deal with stuff, it was Paul. Right? He says this. <clears throat> Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in a steward that once he be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a man or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. 
So here's what Paul said. Look, I've repented of everything. I don't know of anything I haven't repented of. Therefore, if I repented of everything, I'm cleansed from everything. If I'm cleansed from everything, then I'm not doing them anymore because then I'm not cleansed. I'm cleansed and I'm going to stay cleansed and I'm going to continue to be cleansed and I'm not doing it anymore. Amen? Amen. If you have questions about this, do me a favor. Go ahead. Just go ahead and message me on YouTube, on Facebook. Just message me. Go to thegatejacks.com. There's a contact form. You go to lewisdcn.com. Contact me. Because we are in the restoration business. That's what we do. We reconcile and restore with the Lord. And I hope that you will get back to what God has called you to do because he is calling you back into the fold. I love you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you right now for those who hear this, that they hear the call of God. They hear the call of the Spirit. They hear the pulling of Christ saying, follow me. And that they will, by the grace of God, turn from whatever they're doing and come and spend time with you and seek your face. And they would find your loving kindness and tender mercies waiting for them. And you would cleanse them, you would wash them, and you would restore them like new and make all things new for them. I thank you for it. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saint. I will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Oh, <laughs>